So I just was like, let's do this creative side project. Let's get out of our comfort zone. Let's work in audio instead of like acrylics or paint or code. Or I was kind of burnt out on code uh, at that point and was like, let me, I want to do something different. This is version one, a podcast from Code Sandbox about the product development journey of some of the web's most talked about tools and resources from the makers behind them. I'm your host, Maurice Cherry. Podcasting is a booming industry, and Squadcast knows this well. Their platform allows you to record quality audio and video from anywhere thanks to their patent-pending cloud-based technology. With over 12,000 customers in over 120 countries, Squadcast is a leader in remote recording. They're even used by media giants including Spotify, Vox Media, and NPR. Who better to turn to for the story of Squadcast than its co-founder, CEO, and CTO, Zachariah Moreno? This journey begins, as such journeys often do, in the seemingly most innocent and unlikely of places. Did you have a job in high school? On the weekends, I was a cashier at Kmart, blue light specials and all. Nothing fancy, but it gave me a little pocket change to have fun with from time to time. Zachariah also had a pretty typical job for a teenager. My first job was as an associate at In-N-Out Burger. Prior to that, I also had a bit of a, a successful amateur fine art career. I have been featured in a number of art shows in my high school years and sold a number of paintings, was featured in the State Fair, won some awards, like was convinced that I was going to be a professional artist for a while there and really transitioned that daily habit and work ethic compulsion, frankly, that I had to paint every day, transitioned that into going to art school, learning graphic design, and eventually front-end engineering and back-end engineering. The art school Zachariah is referring to is the Art Institute of California in Sacramento, but he didn't exactly start out with graphic design when he applied. I originally had applied, I believe, to be part of the culinary program. I've always enjoyed cooking and liked that as a medium of self-expression. But while I was there, I kind of by chance, I met the lead instructor, the head of the web design and interactive media program, Bill Mead, stepped into one of the classrooms and was just immediately dove headfirst into this rabbit hole of intersection of graphic design and front-end engineering that they had a program for. Talked to Bill after that class and was pretty convinced, like, this is the path for me. This is a way for me to transition my art skills into a more lucrative, kind of sustainable, future-proof job market. There's a lot of demand for software engineering. And as a Latinx individual, that's an opportunity to contribute to diversity within that industry as well. The educators there, the teaching staff, the other students, quite frankly, I learned a lot from all of them. Our chief design officer at Squadcast was my closest friend. I met there and was also in the program. He worked for the Sacramento Kings before Squadcast, and we've worked on a number of projects together. When the Kings built the new arena, they commissioned Alex and I to build the first website for their new arena that they were building in downtown Sacramento, and we had 12 hours to build it. That is not a lot of time. Yeah, it was surreal, to be frank. I bet. School, on the other hand, did not put Zachariah on that kind of a time crunch. He kept on with his studies and soon landed an opportunity that he had his eye on since high school, 
an internship at Google. I'll let him explain. It had been my, like my stated goal in high school was I wanted to work professionally at Google, specifically on the Chrome team as a developer relations, like a developer advocate was really inspired to do that, to um, contribute to like standards work was my goal as well. I had also done some projects to help my resume and just kind of sharpen my skills outside. Uh, In addition to my education was open source projects. JavaScript started exploding while I was in school. Mobile happened while I was in school and responsive design, mobile front-end engineering wasn't a thing when I first enrolled, and it was like the thing by the time I graduated. So I got to give a lot of credit to the teaching staff at the Art Institute for keeping up with those industry trends, for embracing JavaScript. They were teaching ActionScript before that, and I was actually part of the student body to lobby for that transition, which was very well received and still continuing to this day, I believe. That work in open source really led me to the particular internship is a program that happens annually at Google, and that's called the Google Summer of Code. What that does is it pairs students up with open source organizations, and it has the student write up a proposal for a meaningful contribution that can be achieved within a three-month window. And it's a paid internship. Not all of the internships are. It was also a remote internship, which was my first toe in the water, so to speak, of working remotely in a bigger team. So I chose to write a proposal. I've always focused on developer tooling, specifically collaborative developer tooling was kind of my focus there. Pair programming was something that I really love. Developer tooling, like the Chrome developer tools, was something that uh, specifically within Chrome was very inspiring to me. I had a clear vision for ways that that would evolve over time. I wrote that up into a proposal. I ran it by one of my professors, Dan. Dan is one of the most gifted computer scientists I've ever met, still to this day. I wish him well. That's Dan Randall, who is currently a senior architect at Composer Solutions in Gold River, California. If you're listening, Dan, thank you. So Dan really pushed me to have the confidence to actually apply. I had kind of written this up as just kind of an exercise. I had insomnia and was like, well, let me just like kind of write this up the night before. And then to his credit, I kind of sprung this on him the next class the next morning and was like, can you read this? Can you help me with this? Do you think this is a good idea? He totally could have just been like, I have a meeting. I don't have time for this, like whatever. And he did not do that. He stayed for like an hour after class and was like, this is amazing. You should do this. You've always wanted to work at Google. You can do this. This is realistic. And really got me to kind of push that button to submit it. And I was accepted. That started this three-month project on the Eclipse Foundation, is a large open source organization that builds developer tooling. And I proposed an Eclipse web-based code editor as an extension running within the Chrome developer tools that would help people kind of edit the front-end web, HTML and CSS and JavaScript collaboratively with others. So kind of like Google Docs for software engineering, but in the browser. That was a very ambitious goal for me at the time. I was a very junior software engineer. Like I couldn't have told you what like a callback function in JavaScript was back then or like I really was junior. I was in over my head and that was like a really interesting summer. It was the first time I had experienced one of the weird side effects of innovation is that there is no tutorial. There's nobody who can answer these questions for you. It's a lonely sport, innovation. That was a lesson that I had learned. So I'm very grateful to have succeeded in that proposal, delivered an open source project contribution to both the Eclipse Orion and the Google Chrome team, 
And I learned so much about software engineering, also myself and my ability to rise to the occasion, even in situations where I had bit off more than I could chew. When we return, Zachariah rises to the next step in his career. We're back. Zachariah graduated from the Art Institute of California in Sacramento and was finishing up at Google, where he got to meet and work alongside some of the industry's most well-known engineers. My mentor was actually a gentleman named John Barton. John Barton was one of the two engineers that originally created the first developer tools in Firefox, which was called Firebug. Firebug browsers didn't used to come with developer tools until John Barton and his friend created this open source project that he later joined Google and took it from being an extension to being part of the core application that had its own sandbox and could even run its own extensions. And that's where kind of my project came in was an extension of Chrome DevTools. So I'm so grateful for that experience. And, you know, it was a really intense three months. There were other internships that were happening at the same time. Yeah, I was a big fan of like Adi Osmani and Paul Irish and was a bit starstruck to be straight up about it. I had an opportunity at, at a young age to not just kind of express myself in these ways, achieve what I had as my life's goal at that point in time at a fairly young age, but then also work alongside some of these amazing engineers. Hey, I would be starstruck too. What Zachariah mentions here about developer tools in the browser was truly a revolution. Back in the early days of the internet, the web browser was really just a document viewer. Developer tools in Firefox and Chrome did a lot more than just provide front-end developers a way to debug and troubleshoot code. They showed the possibilities that could be accomplished within the browser, including, well, audio recording and production. So what did Zachariah do next? I actually started working full-time for the state my last year of college. I was doing double duty for that last year. My school loved that I got that internship and succeeded, like alumni success kind of stories and stuff. They still hit me up about that. It's pretty cool. Working in a government technology environment is not the Google Chrome team. It's not an engineering culture at all. It's not a design culture either. It's a legacy environment to be straight up about it and inheriting production systems that were not designed or engineered with modern best practices or frameworks like model view controller architecture, separation of concerns like back end and front end, like a lot of monoliths, a lot of contracts with vendors who you're just kind of stuck with, whether it's empowering you or not. And I use that time to not just contribute to what I believe to be kind of the way I looked at it was like, I'm probably not going to go into the military and I want to have at least some contribution on my professional experience to kind of this like tour of civic duty is kind of how I looked at it. The biggest supplier of jobs in Sacramento is the government. I kind of knew what I was getting into and it wasn't necessarily an environment where I was going to learn the latest and greatest things. But what I did use it for was like working on teams of other engineers, moving big projects forward, contributing a number of features and fixes to systems that were in a lot of need of improvements. So I'm very satisfied with the work I did there. But I got to be honest, 
Also, I used the negative space that was available to me because the projects that I was put on didn't utilize my full skills or capacity at all, ever, at any agency I worked for. And my leadership knew that, to be transparent. So what I did was I used that time to contribute to open source projects, research, sharpen my skills, kind of stay sharp. I didn't want to fall into kind of the trope of some of the other people that I had spent a career kind of just standing still in this environment. I wanted to use it as a space for me to hone my craft and use it as kind of a launching point to where I I wanted to go from there. You know, if we were on Clubhouse right now, I would say, yo, Zachariah is a heavy hitter right now, dropping jewels left and right. You know what he just said? It makes the vision so much more real. Anyway, the last state agency Zachariah worked for was the California Coastal Commission, which brought him to San Francisco. That was kind of expedient for me because I could move out to the Bay Area and then kind of use that as a jumping off point to what I believed at the time was to apply for bigger tech companies and transition my career in that direction. But what happened was very different. While at the California Coastal Commission, he created his first production APIs, set up API gateways, and built an Angular front end to visualize that data on a Google map that you could search. I would just build stuff and then show it to them because I thought that that agency had like the coolest data, right? Beaches, pictures of beaches. That's awesome. You know, not every state gets that opportunity. I also started teaching at Cal Berkeley while I worked there. I also wrote a book on deploying modern web applications while I worked there. So where do podcasts come in? I had always loved listening to podcasts because I love learning just fundamentally. My co-founder, Rock, actually introduced me to podcasts back when we were in like college, um, high school, maybe, Uh, I think college. I was kind of in between side projects when I came across this article on Wired that was saying, hey, there's this new podcast genre that is like science fiction audio drama and less of like interviews or narrative storytelling, but more of serial, scripted, sound-designed drama. And that just blew my mind. My brother is an audio engineer and sound designer, my brother Vince, and my best friend is a decorated playwright and published author as well. I think I see where this is going. I just was like, let's do this creative side project. Let's get out of our comfort zone. Let's work in audio instead of like acrylics or paint or code. Or I was kind of burnt out on code at that point and was like, I want to do something different. And they were like, we're down to do this. This sounds awesome. It's going to be a lot of work, but like, let's try, you know, and put this together. But the catch was I was now living in the Bay Area. My brother Vince lived in West Sacramento. Harrison lived in like East Sacramento. So we were geographically distributed. So any chance of us getting together to record in like a physical studio was basically not going to happen or maybe could happen like once a month, maybe once every two months. Zachariah quickly encountered one of the primary roadblocks with podcasting. How do you record a show when everyone's not in the same physical location? I mean, it is possible, but it's a dilemma with many solutions, some more complicated than others. Trust me, I know. That just wasn't going to get us where we needed to go. So that's really where we started researching. This has to be a solved problem. Somebody has to have built technology that helps podcasters record remotely and doesn't sacrifice quality. But what we found through talking to people and researching like OG podcasters, like everybody was pretty much using Skype and that was just kind of something people dealt with, but weren't really happy. It was kind of paper thin. Once we probed a little bit more, it was like, well, 
Do you think your audience would want better quality? Do you think you would want better quality? And the answer was absolutely. So that's really where we pivoted from this science fiction audio drama podcast to maybe there's something we can build here. I could probably roll this out in like a weekend and just kind of have our own tool and learned pretty quickly like there's a reason this hadn't been done before the way I envisioned it and that modern browsers had become more capable with audio video capabilities. Real-time audio video had become a thing with like the WebRTC standard being supported by modern browsers. Cloud, scalable, global architecture had become much more accessible. It was like, wow, the timing of the technology here really seems to suggest that like there's a reason nobody had done this before and that the window just opened to try to do something like this. So that's really where... I started building, trying to see if I could build a proof of concept. Remember that Summer of Code internship where Zachariah worked on developer tools? Now he was able to put that knowledge of extending the browser to work. And he also had his brother, an audio engineer, to help out with information on signal processing and other audio tech. And that's really where I picked up the phone and called my now co-founder and good friend Rock and basically suggested to him like, hey, we're probably not the only ones who have this challenge And given the opportunity to build something new, that sounds like it could be a company and a startup. I'm so grateful that he took me up on that opportunity. After the break, Squadcast version one. Welcome back. Zachariah's got an idea for this remote recording tool that would eventually become Squadcast, but it's not quite ready for primetime just yet. As you can imagine, this is like a progression, right? Of, okay, what's the core thing that we need to prove? Not even an MVP because we're not even to a product, just the minimum, the absolute. What is the hypothesis here? Can we get better quality? If we can't get better quality, it doesn't make sense to do anything else. So that's really where we started on. Let's record in the browser. Let's check that quality against recording on conversation first platforms like Skype or Zoom and see what happens. Thankfully, quality is measurable. Zachariah and his team created a quick web app just to demonstrate the possibility of this idea. It had one button that you clicked and you recorded about a minute of audio. So we could then open that in like a digital audio workstation like a DAW and look at that waveform versus other waveforms that came from other applications. And then beyond that, it was like, okay, can we do that with two people at the same time? That's really where it started getting into like, okay, how are we going to architect this solution? I had been exposed to, I mentioned my time at the government, legacy monolith style applications. And I knew that we didn't want to do that. <laughs> that, that there was uh, more modern approaches there. So that's really where the idea of separation of concerns comes in. What front-end framework do we choose? What back-end frameworks do we choose? How do we separate the back-end microservices to have a clean separation of concerns? And then the front-end could kind of tie all these pieces together. We'd also be setting ourselves up for success when it came to deployment and scalability. You can imagine some microservices may require more resources and more scale than other microservices. So that's where this separation of concerns becomes very valuable. We chose to build the front-end application with a library called Polymer. 
the first way that I was exposed to Polymer while I was doing my internship on the Chrome team. But the library didn't really age that well. It gave us the ability to componentize our code, but it was very lacking in its ability to like do state management and things along those lines. That's really where we embraced Redux. This tech stack, Node.js on the back end structured in microservices and Polymer on the front end carried the team through. After about five or six months, they had a working beta of Squadcast, but now they had to get it out in the world so other people, podcasters specifically, could experience it. There was just one slight problem. So we didn't know any podcasters. <laughs> I should mention that. I was teaching at Cal Berkeley while I was kind of getting from beta to V1. We had launched in beta at Podcast Movement in Anaheim in, um, I believe, 2017. One of Zachariah's students at Cal Berkeley was a guy named Ega, who also happened to be the head of Intel's Venture Capital Investment Fund for the Middle East. Ega pushed us. We were just going to go as attendees and try to validate and talk to as many podcasters as we could and try to check, okay, this is our hypothesis. What do you think about this? Would this be useful to you? What do you think about pricing? Just like all these questions that we had. And Ega was like, no, no, Zach, you have to sponsor. If you're going to be a company in this space, you have to sponsor. And I was just like, well, we got to pay for that. And I don't even know if sponsorships are still available. Sidebar here. As a podcaster and as someone who has put together events, sponsorships will always be available. You mean you're going to give me money to advertise your business and expose you to my audience? Yes, please. I think we got the last sponsorship that year, and I'm really grateful that we did because we met Harry, our founding advisor now, and also I think it was it was super nerve-wracking, anxiety-ridden because we were putting ourselves out there for the first time. We could have totally just dropped a couple thousand dollars to sponsor this event and then fallen flat on our faces within a couple minutes, and then what? We'd just be kind of standing there for three days, like drinking coffee and I guess enjoying LA, but... That's not what happened. About five minutes in, I think the second person we talked to was like, I came to this event to try to solve this problem. And now you're here. And I, I want this. And we got exactly one customer, Gina, to sign up for the beta. And I'm super grateful that her and her nonprofit are still customers today. Squadcast was gaining traction fast. But even with this successful growth, there was still more to do. I would say that we almost expected it to not be successful, like given the data. We were very much of the mindset of like, let's prove ourselves wrong, let's prove ourselves wrong, let's prove ourselves wrong. They kept getting more validation and demand grew. And as Squadcast gained a loyal following, Zachariah made sure to stay true to meeting the customers' needs and hearing their suggestions. That has really been a great relationship and led to an amazing reputation that we're very proud of having earned within the podcast community. And that continues to this day. I want to close out this episode with a question I asked Zachariah. Given what you know now throughout your professional journey, what advice would you give your teenage self? I would tell him that every time you put yourself out there, you can find a way to succeed. I don't usually get emotional, but that I uh, was just a very different person in high school. I mentioned a little bit of that. I had depression and social anxiety disorder. Uh, I had suicidal thoughts. Like I was in counseling. And what it came down to, what ultimately helped me get out of that was finding things to look forward to. In hindsight, I didn't have much that I would look forward to. 
And that's the core reason why I love technology is there is always, there is, is an endless supply of things to look forward to that really helped elevate me out of that. And I assumed that those things would just kind of get me back to normal. I wasn't trying to become superhuman or like anything like that. I was just trying to get to some sort of level of normal. What I didn't understand at the time is that those same practices, they didn't stop propelling me at normal. They kept on propelling me to ultimately where I am today and where we're going in the future. Thank you so much for listening to version one. For more information about the show, visit us at codesandbox.io slash version one. That's all one word. Or you can send us a tweet at codesandbox. This podcast is produced by Maurice Cherry with engineering and editing from Resonate Recordings. The song you're listening to now, that's I Don't Mind from Particle House, courtesy of Epidemic Sound. Special thanks to Zachariah Moreno and Rockwell Felder from Squadcast, and of course, the entire team at Code Sandbox. I'm Maurice Cherry, and this is Version 1. See you next time.